it is the pink elephant theory. If the guest wants a pink elephant, get them a pink elephant. If you can't find a pink elephant, get a horse, paint it pink, convince the guest that's an elephant. Do whatever it takes to ensure they're happy. That's it. Are they happy? And we are back. Chris Adams here with the pink elephant. And uh, today, super excited. I've got Alex McIntosh with us. And the story that you're going to get today is one that's one interesting, exciting, uh, something that you're probably going to want to jump online and place immediate orders for. Alex, <laughs> it's, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on today, man. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you being inviting me on. Of course. Of course. Now, you've done work with, at one point, you did work with Nestle, if I'm correct there, a lot of big companies, and then broke off to do something that, honestly, as, as somebody that's built a brand and worked with a number of companies, never even thought of as as a direction, yet it makes complete yeah. and total sense. So tell us about Thrive, Thrive Natural Care, right? That's right. Give a little insight on, on what Thrive is. Uh, so Thrive is a, a skincare company that I started about 10 years ago, Chris, and we'll we'll get into the, the highs and lows of the journey of building it. <laughs> the way I usually describe it to people is Thrive makes skincare that regenerates your skin, our planet, and local farmer communities. It's a, it's a really unusual business model uh, that we built that goes way beyond sort of buy one, give one, or, or giving back. But the, the thing that makes it, I think, a really interesting business is that the unusual business model actually makes the products better. It makes it more useful. And that was something that I had learned. You, you mentioned my background. And uh, it's something I'd learned in a couple of earlier iterations. And I'll, I'll just leave with the, the hook. Uh, I'll end this part with the hook of, I'm a, a tree hugger who believes in capitalism. And Thrive is really the marriage of those two threads. And it's been a neat journey. So the skincare we make is for men and women. We're best known for our sun care products particularly SPF for the face and the body. Uh, we were recently featured in the New York Times, the wire cutter for the best reef safe sunscreen. And that's created a lot of fun uh, supply chain issues for my team this summer after getting that feature. Uh, but it's a high class problem. I like trading low class problems for high class problems. And that was one. And we just learned, I've learned a ton on the way building this from scratch. And so I'm excited to unpack that with you and share some stories today. Man, I tell you, my brain, when I start talking about this with you, starts going in 50 different directions on where <laughs> I want to go immediately into the fact of where it comes from. And because you work yeah. with scientists and everything from scientists, farmers, and then the marketing side is yeah. how to build a brand. I mean, that alone is tough. Having, I mean, scientists and farmers, are, I feel, are two drastically different people in how they look at things. But before we get into all that, let's rewind a little bit and take us. What was it that propelled you to say, like, this is something I'm, I'm going to be passionate about or a, a direction I'm going to go down? Did you have any background in skincare? I did not have it in skincare, although I guess there are two seeds that sort of brought me to, to starting Thrive. Uh, as I mentioned before, I've, I um, introduced myself as a tree hugger who believes in capitalism. And uh, the two seeds that really, I think, gave birth to Thrive, the first was I have a really sensitive skin. I'm half Norwegian, half Scottish. Uh, I'm active. I spend a lot of time outside. And like you and like a lot of other people, I often go through periods of sort of intense uh, stress. And what I have always had, Chris, since I was a kid is when I would put uh, either a sunscreen on or a lotion on, or when I started to shave, my face would just get super irritated and uh, usually very red and break out in little dots and stuff. And it would itch and it was, it was kind of uncomfortable and it always made me feel kind of self-conscious. And as I got older and I started paying more attention to what I was putting in my body and on my body, I became aware of products that were natural, that were theoretically exactly what I would need so that I wouldn't have this really bad skin irritation from the stuff that I would normally buy at a drugstore or a supermarket. But the problem is the natural products didn't always work as well for the things I wanted them to do. Like say sunscreens, they made me look like a ghost. It was like felt really pasty and maybe feel like a ghost. Or if I wanted to treat something like really dry skin, they wouldn't always do what I needed them to do. And that's one of the common sort of issues with a lot of natural products is they're healthier for me, but they don't work as well. So one of the seeds was uh, having this really sensitive skin, being active and wanting to have something that men and women could use, but but definitely me, 
that was healthy, but really actually worked just as well as anything you would buy uh, from a conventional like store. And the second seed is the part that makes Thrive a little interesting. And it's sort of my passion and it's what makes Thrive so different and the product so useful. And that is in my, one of my interesting jobs that I had was I was uh, an executive at Nestle Waters and it was a very, very big division of Nestle. And we had a lot of scale. We had like 29 manufacturing plants and 6,000 people uh, that worked for the company and, and a bunch of brands. And it became clear to me that sustainability is a lot better than nothing for a company. Or if you're just talking about your kids, like if a company is trying to minimize the waste, the, the energy use, the stuff that it's doing, that's good. But if you add all that up and you bring China and India online, what we're going to do to the planet is really going to leave our kids a lot worse off. And, you know, the, the climate change gets often wrapped up in a lot of political stuff. The way I look at it is I grew up in the Midwest and a lot of the towns there, in addition to struggling with where I'm from, drug use, they've got really crazy stuff going on with uh, droughts and just crazy like rains and, you know, where you are from originally in Florida. So I was looking at basically the climate and saying, there's a lot that we need to do to, to leave the planet a bit better for our kids. And as I was working at Nestle in a really big scale, what I realized was that the sustainability model, which the shorthand for that is don't leave things worse than they are which is fine, but it assumes that you're good off. And so the example I use is if you were born with a million dollars in your bank account and you spend it down to a thousand, and then you start spending the thousand sustainably, you can spend a thousand dollars sustainably, but to go from a million to a thousand is really not where you want to be. And so I became really interested in this idea of a regenerative business, which basically just means leaving things better off. It means making the place or the people healthier. The bank account that I just referenced, instead of going from a million down to a thousand, maybe it goes from a million down to a thousand, but then the next couple of generations are building it back up so that your kids have something that they can really live with and be happy with. So I put these two things together uh, after I took a trip with my family to Costa Rica, which is an amazing place, whether you're a surfer, an eco-nut, a bird watcher or a family that just likes to go to a neat spot with the kids. It's a really inspiring place. And I was introduced to some scientists there and that began the journey of putting these two threads together of, I want to make some products that are going to be really good for active people who have very sensitive skin, men and women. And I also want to build a business model that goes way beyond sort of buy one, give one, or just being sustainable, not to be more green, but because I actually think that it is a good business model. And it took 10 years. We can unpack some of it here about the highs and the lows of it. But I think the thing that is most interesting and rewarding for me and for our customers is the regenerative model. We grow, we have some plants that we commercialize, some, some botanicals and these botanicals, uh, the oils are really, really good for people's skin, particularly people, Chris, that have sensitive skin with irritation or with redness, women and men. And so we commercialized three plants that are not in any other skincare products in the world that are native to Costa Rica. And these plants are really good as replacements for synthetic ingredients that have a lot of side effects. But then we grow them in a really beautiful way called regenerative farming. And the nut of all of that is by growing them this way, it makes the plant oils much more potent and pure. And we can talk about this a little bit later, but what it means is you're basically getting a turbocharged skin benefit from these plants that doesn't have any of the downsides of conventional synthetic products with a lot of the irritation and the redness that they cause. And so the business model itself helps us make these products that these are the hero ingredients in much more effective. And so we can say in a really cluttered marketplace, there's a lot of great stuff out there. If you have something you love, great. If you're looking for a sun care product that really does protect you from the sun, that's healthy, that won't make you look like a ghost and actually makes your skin healthier, try Thrive. If you're looking for lotions or shaving or, or washes for your face, try Thrive. And people really love it and they love the story behind it. So it's those two threads of, I wanted to see something on the shelf that didn't really exist from a product standpoint. And I thought there'd right. be a market for it with a business model where my heart was of really building something very, very aspirational. And those two came together in a way that I didn't anticipate making the products so much better than they would normally be. And now that we've got the business model together, it gives us a really nice message to share. 
That's impressive. I mean, I'm, I'm so curious. So you basically with using this type of farming, it's almost creating more of a concentrate of those oils. So it really, it, it reacts a lot stronger and better than it traditionally would. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's exactly that. And the analogy I use is, I mean, you you're a fit guy. You look like you you've been into the gym once or twice in your life. And so here's the equivalent. Imagine that you go to the gym and you're exercising. You're also eating healthy foods. And imagine that I don't go to the gym, but I'm taking tons of steroids. Okay, so. I can kind of blow up and look big, but your your real health because you're going to the gym and you're taking care of yourself and you're eating good food is much more solid, right? And your body is forced to repair itself from the gym. Your body is forced to metabolize the foods that you're putting in and use them in a much more efficient way than, than what I'm doing. And for plants, it's the same thing. So if I'm the conventional farm and I'm a plant, I'm getting all this synthetic fertilizer and pesticide and herbicide. And what that lets me do is grow dumb and happy just straight up in the sky. I don't have to worry about where my next meal is going to come from. I don't have to worry about any bugs chewing on me. I don't have to worry about any mold or anything like that. It's all taken care of. So I just grow straight up in the sky, right? I don't have to defend myself. If you are the same plant and you're growing on a regenerative farm, you've got to figure out, okay, it's a dry season. What am I going to do? It's a wet season. What am I going to do? I don't have enough food. What am I going to do? You got bugs chewing on you. You got mold and other things coming. And so what you do is you actually create these things called secondary metabolites to protect yourself. And the plant, you do that for yourself. But the benefit to someone who's using the oil from your plant is that it's much more potent and pure than the oil that I'm creating. So let me give you an example. Vitamin E is a really good antioxidant for the skin. If you you know spend time in Southern California or, or out in the sun, antioxidants are really good for helping counteract the effects of the sun and pollution and so forth. A really typical type is vitamin E of, of a way to benefit your skin. For Thrive, our super plants, they deliver 17 times the amount of antioxidants to the skin is vitamin E. So again, it's like you're, you're a plant growing and needing to fend for yourself, creating these special metabolites. When we distill those and turn them into the oils that go into our products or the extracts, it makes them much more useful to the skin than a dumb plant who's just growing straight up in the sky, kind of getting its equivalent of steroids. And so it's interesting. It's, it's a little geeky, but it makes a lot of sense, right? And, and yeah. that is why clinically we have really good data about these products being so helpful for people is because the plants are grown in a way that really enhances their natural defenses. And the beautiful part for the people that care, and not everyone does, a lot of people buy our products because they just wanna protect themselves from the sun or they wanna look good. But the really beautiful part is this regenerative farming, Chris, we're going to places right now in Costa Rica, eventually around the world, where the farmer's land is degraded and eroded. It's not toxic. It's just like beaten down and there's a lot of runoff and, and we're replanting these plants. And by growing them regeneratively, Chris and Alex and our families and all of our friends, they get really good skincare, but the land is coming back to life. There's more biodiversity. The soil is much healthier. The farmers are getting much more yield. The farmers aren't buying their herbicides and their pesticides. So they're saving money. They're not pouring them on the land. So their water, usually a well, is protected. So it's a super win-win. And the beautiful thing I love about this is the more we sell, the more land we put into regenerative farming, the more land that gets restored. And so what we've done is we've sort of tied a positive footprint to growth, right? And so that's the beautiful thing about this model is you can really look good, you can live healthier, but then the customers by supporting this, they're actually helping leave places better now in Costa Rica and eventually around the world. That's amazing. Now, I mean, obviously that to figure this out and to get to this point, there that had to have been a, I don't want to say a lengthy process, but there there had to have been a time. <laughs> it was. Right? So as a as an entrepreneur, as somebody that's yeah. launching this brand that has a vision, going from I have this what I believe is a life altering, world changing idea, but then having to go through the process of figuring out how to get it to this point, there there's a time gap there. How did you manage that time gap to keep your excitement level? 
to minimize your frustration, to believe in this product three years later, potentially, while you're still fighting the battle of figuring it out. What was that like, that process for you? Oh, man, that's such a great question. Uh, if we had a couple bottles of wine or a couple cases of beer, <laughs> um, we would we would definitely work through those with all with with, with me the trying therapy to answer. session Good, taking you uh, back to therapy <laughs> and laughs and, and everything. Gosh, I would say the way I'd probably answer your question is it, it's been in cycles. There's definitely a flow to it. And I, I notice this with I know you mentioned to me that. Uh, a good number of your your listeners enjoy your podcasts is they're thinking about what they might do next or how they might apply themselves in life. And I think one of the really beautiful cycles that I saw now in retrospect, Chris, with myself, and I often see in other entrepreneurs, whether I'm mentoring them or I'm just friends with them, is it's these phases. And I, I'm sure this has been written up in a way that's like much more elegant than I'm going to say it. But the first phase is where you kind of got the idea in your head of what you want to do and you know what it is and you're excited by it, even if you can't really concisely explain it, right? We've all had those instances where you run into a friend, you ask them what they're working on and she may say, you know, da 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 da, -da and you kind of scratch your head a little bit. You know, they're smart, you know, they'll figure it out. And it <laughs> sounds kind of interesting, but it doesn't really, I mean, it certainly didn't sound like a business. It doesn't even maybe sound clear what it is. <laughs> And then, you know, they work on it and depending on their background and what they've done in the past, this may come into focus more quickly. It may take a little while, but then what happens is they start really turning it into a business plan. They start like prototyping things. Maybe they have some, some products that they, they uh, end up putting together or some initial clients and it really starts coming into focus. And that is a really beautiful moment because it's that moment when Everything is possible. The, the dream that you had in your head is still like entirely achievable and you haven't gotten like swatted down yet, right? It's all sort of like good and, and to be done in the future. And it's, it's a really beautiful time and it's very exciting. And I think one of the challenges of entrepreneurship is going too far away from that place and not getting enough recharge to remind you of why you started all this stuff in the first place. Now, I'll be the first one to say that, you know, there, there are a lot of ideas that people have, myself included, that are interesting, but are not necessarily good businesses. So sometimes the market says to you, hey, A plus for effort, but I'm going to take a pass on, you know, what you're trying to build. Yeah. But I think for most entrepreneurs, that second phase of where they've, they've started really like building the thing and it's really exciting. And then the next phase, if you, if you run into an entrepreneur is where they've really started to scale it. And the, the challenges then go from, Hey, could we do this? Or who do we need to talk to, to figure this thing out? to ones where you know, you're working with vendors and you've got customers, you may have investors, and it's a whole different suite of things. And if you, you know, follow companies, this is where a lot of times in the scaling, some entrepreneurs are really good at starting stuff, at kind of hatching the chick, but they're not so good at taking care of it as it's really growing. They kind of lose interest in all the, you know, the blocking and tackling and going to this meeting on Wednesday and who's doing this memo. And that's an interesting time for a lot of entrepreneurs. Some decide to kind of step back and others really stick with it. And then the last phase that is often the case is where if the entrepreneur is successful, you know, they've grown a nice business and they've either sold it or they're kind of running it with a much bigger team and they, they have a bit more of a stable operation. Some don't make it and, and uh, the, the really good ones have learned a lot. And they're really, really, I think, uh, transparent about what worked and what didn't. And I find those people really admirable. In some ways, I feel like they've almost learned more than people who've made it because not only have they worked really hard, but they've had to come to terms with something that worked and didn't. And my own journey is where I am, is I'm in the scaling part now. And to specifically answer your question, uh, after that sort of theoretical phases of entrepreneurship. I was really passionate about building the model. I was very lucky in hiring some recruiting some really good people early on to join sort of my founding team for product, for operations, uh, for our supply chain, this regenerative supply chain in Costa Rica. And I think in the really tough times where I've had to go through cycles of working on something that I don't really like a lot or where it seems like more things are going wrong than go right, Chris, 
I think the things that really have recharged me that are kind of my touchstones are my team. I, I love them. They're, they're great people. They're super passionate about what they're doing. Uh, none of us are getting rich yet. Uh, we're doing it because we love it. We love working together. And that really fuels me. And the second thing is I really believe, and it's fun, I believe that m- the more people that we can transition off of sort of synthetic conventional skincare into something that's much better for them and better for the planet is going to be great. And I, and I really think this model, we are an example. We're not the, the ones who created regenerative business. There's some amazing brands, you know, Patagonia, there are even some really huge companies that are spending billions of dollars on regenerative. It's really a thing now. And I love knowing that we're on the vanguard, this model that we built and how sophisticated it is is really on the vanguard of, I think, where a lot of very, very innovative businesses are going. And that inspires me in the times that are hard to think that if and when we pull this off and we get some some real scale to our business, what we've built will be a really interesting blueprint for other businesses to use, whether it's for a particular product, it's a particular market, or even the whole damn business, I think we're, we're proving that you can build a regenerative business and actually have it be very accretive to the value of the company and to the customers. So it's kind of a long answer, but it's, it's, such, a, it's such a journey, as you know, with entrepreneurship. And I don't think there's a phase of challenge. I think they're just cycles. You go through cycles yeah. and the scale of things changes and the complexity changes, but we definitely go through those phases. Wouldn't you agree? Couldn't agree more. And you said you said something that I I have been on this kick for a minute now. And I've been talking a lot about culture and the fact that we organizations right now, I think there's a there's a huge gap in what culture really is. And I think that's why you see we've seen in, you know, the workforce a lack of people wanting to work for organizations. In the beginning, they try to blame it on money. And at the end of the day, there's studies that have come back. It's not about the money. It's about the culture. Yeah. And yeah. and I think that something you said triggered something I believe in heavily that <clears throat> people do a very good job of, of the creation of they're mm-hmm. passionate about the creation of. They're phenomenal at, at when you launch it, when they first get their LLC of what their pillars are going to be and what's their mission yeah. statement. They're, they're great at the creation of. Yeah. And yeah. I think that where organizations struggle, and I think where entrepreneurs probably struggle, is going from transitioning from, from the excitement of the creation of to mm-hmm. learning how to cultivate. And I think yeah. that the, there's point. a gap there between people that get, it's that honeymoon phase, right? People are super excited about the creating and, oh my God, I've got this million dollar idea. But then the real work happens and that's the cultivation piece of how do you take what you've created and and feed it and nurture it and and grow it and, and evolve it to what it's actually going to become. I know from my business, and I have to imagine yours too, what I thought I was going to do on day one of the idea to where I'm at a decade later yeah. is drastically different. And that's about the cultivation of it and letting it evolve organically the way it should. And I think that was a great point you made on really understanding and embracing that side of entrepreneurship after you've got past the honeymoon phase of the excitement of creating something. I would love, you know, just I, I'm super passionate about this this topic you're bringing up about about culture and about about leadership. Maybe just share a little bit. I'd love to hear because you have such an interesting background about the Ellis Adams Group and and the way you look at or think about culture for that. And then I'll share a couple things from my end because I just think it's it's a whether we're in it as participants or we're really responsible for helping create it as leaders. It doesn't matter. It's all the same, like water that we're in. And I'd love to hear just a little bit about how you think of it. Yeah, for us, it's been, look, I could tell you now at my age of how I was 15, 20 years ago. Let me say this. I've always been passionate about leadership. I remember very early on, I was handed books from, you know, by John Maxwell and Stephen Covey. My dad was a psychologist and did a lot of work on the corporate side for groups. So Hmm. I always believed in, in what leadership was. And I even as a, a young, very young leader uh, working for Ritz Carlton at the time, I wanted to be a great leader. And I felt like I, I had some form of an understanding from leadership versus management and those, those types of things. 
But the evolution of our brand and me understanding and starting to realize how to my job as a leader, as the, as the leader of my company is to see in my team what they don't see in themselves. It is to expose in them what they don't realize they're capable of. It is my job to wake up every day and put them in a position to succeed. And it's my job to put them in scenarios and situations they never thought that they would even be capable of. It is my job to maximize them as humans. And sometimes that means they grow beyond their role. And some that might mean they have to leave Ellis Adams Group. As long as I am helping them become the best version of themselves, then we are doing our jobs as an organization. And I believe whatever you believe in, whether it's God or the universe or you name it, Mm -hmm. I believe there's a power out there that if you, good things happen to good people. And as a leader, if I'm doing everything in my power to make great decisions, thinking about where, how, how it affects my team, it will continue to maximize my organization. And we will see a return of that a, a thousand fold. And so for me, I love that. That's super powerful. Yeah, we're called a lifestyle brand, right? And people, that's mm-hmm. a that's a weird term and people don't really know what that means sometimes. <laughs> and, and for me, it, it's very simply if I wake up every day and I, I put on a certain outfit if I'm going to run the Starbucks. And I, oh, Chris, that outfit's so cool. Well, lifestyle brand means that that's just who you are. That's your behavior. That's, I don't have to think about I don't need to have, I don't need to call someone to say, Hey, is this a cool outfit? That's just, that's the clothes we wear, right? Well, if you transition that to how you behave as an organization, and that's just who you are, it's in your DNA as a brand that we talk every week as a team. And the things that we talk about, that's who we are as a brand. We don't have to try and be something. We don't have to try and act a certain way. And I take great pride in you being able to ask, I think anyone that works for EAG is that now the stuff you hear on podcast or you read in a magazine or whatever, that's legit how it is at our company. That's how we talk every day. That's how we behave. That's how we treat our clients. My internal guest, my team is just as important as our external team, our external clients. And, and so making sure that they are heavily taken care of. And when I say that, I don't mean just financially. Yes, we want to be the top payers in, in our field and all those things. But do we care about them as humans? Are we? Are, I say this, I've said this to my team, and I believe this wholeheartedly. If I have an amazing group of individuals traveling the world that are helping make my dreams come true. They are out there executing on my dreams. Well, they all have dreams. They have things that they wanted to accomplish at 13 years old, at 12 years old, they had dreams. How am I giving back to help them achieve their dreams? How am I making sure that I'm putting them in a position to achieve their dreams? If I'm not doing that and helping them, and hey, that might mean that at some point they want to become a vice president for my company or something. That might be their dream and that's awesome. I want to help them get there. But if they look at me and say, Chris, my dream is I want to launch X. How can I help you? Is and is that mean that I'm going to give you the tools on how to become an entrepreneur? Does that mean maybe I'm an investor? Does that mean that I just set you up with relationships that are going to help you get there? But if I'm not helping my team achieve their dreams and what is at their core happiness, then I'm missing the point of, of what I'm supposed to be doing as a leader for our brand. And that's how we that's how we live every day at, at our company. That's great. Man, that's so, uh, it's so uh, inspiring and refreshing uh, to hear that. I think, um, you know, whether someone's on the right or the left in politics, I think there's a lot of frustration at the heads I win, tails you lose, particularly in business. And man, if there were more people thinking like that and creating those types of uh, environments, I think the human potential that would be unlocked is amazing. And I just also think we'd all have a lot more, more fun and not necessarily in a kumbaya way. There's a lot of studies that show uh, the type of uh, environment that you're talking about uh, that you, you passionately believe in and work to build is where people will do better work. You'll outperform, you know, given other, other metrics. And I, I definitely look at it the same way, you know, people often ask, 
you've been lucky. You've been able to do some really cool things with, you know, some big organizations like the Nature Conservancy or Nestle, or you started this company now and, you know, you guys have built something really interesting. And what do you think about leadership? And I would copy paste uh, all of what you said. And, and to it, I would add, you know, we each kind of come to the table with our with our gifts. I think one of the one of the challenges for entrepreneurs and people who, who are building businesses is you often have a very strong passion and typically an outsized personality. It takes, you know, some chutzpah to, to make some things uh, appear out of nowhere and grow. And usually a pretty specific way you like things done. And I think one of the challenges I see with a lot of entrepreneurs, and, you know, I struggle with this too. It's, 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 it's something that, that you, you always have to watch is creating the space for others, not only to build within your, your vision or your dream, but to sort of make it their own vision, their own dream as well. And, you know, there's, I think Steve Jobs is an amazing entrepreneur. He built the most valuable company in history. But, you know, before he got knocked off his perch, he was a really tough guy to work for. And he was extremely prescriptive in the way he did things. And I think one of the things that was so interesting is, and I read interviews of him towards the end of his life, is where he realized that he could unlock so much more growth for his company by really letting others spread their wings. And, you know, he was still a curmudgeon. He still was, you know, very, very tough on on folks. But I think uh, that was an interesting lesson. And, you know, I think the the part for me is, I think the first thing in leadership is, is really to stay aligned with uh, your values and try to do something you love. Not everyone has that opportunity. You know, if you're trying to put food on the table for a family and you're in a in a job uh, that that maybe you don't have as much autonomy as you'd like, uh, there are trade offs. And maybe the benefit of that is you're able to to give your family a, you know support and good health care and so forth, and that's good. But I think the more you can align with things that you really believe in and you care about, the happier and and more fulfilled you'll be, and the more genuine you'll be for those around you, particularly if you're in a leader position. And then the second thing that I think really great leaders have that I try to do is, is to create an inspiring vision, something that is not just what you believe in, but that other people can plug into and take and shape and make their own. And I really resonated with you when you were saying that. Uh, the third thing is I really think it's important for leaders to to lead by example, to walk the talk. They're just, you know, I think the business press likes, we love sort of knocking heroes off their pedestals and we've all got our foibles, but I wish there were more stories. They probably aren't because they're sort of more boring, but of the leaders who really do walk the talk and put their put their money and their time where their mouth is. And I, I think that's something that is really important. In the early days of Thrive, one of our mantras was the captain eats last. And we have a really beautiful but complex supply chain you mentioned before of rural farmers, of ecologists, ethnobotanists, you know, skincare experts, entrepreneurs, all these people. And in the early days, we made a really strong multi-year commitment to the people that had the most at risk, which were the farmers. And when we went through some really tough times where, you know, we weren't profitable and we hadn't been able to raise some of the money that we wanted to raise, we always delivered for the people who had the least amount of money. And we're really proud of that, right? It was, again, trying to avoid that heads I win, tails you lose, where the CEO is making $8 zillion more than the people at the bottom of the line. And then the last part of the leadership is just really trying to hire great people and, and surround yourself with people that ideally are not only better technically at the thing you're hiring them for, but they also have a real desire to build something bigger than just a job or uh, a part of a brand. They really have like a, a passion themselves. In the early days, that's very, very important, particularly if you have generals. And so, you know, I do a lot of a lot of work with our farms. And the way I summarize all this is, you know, my job is to figure out what the map is pointing to, to create the right soil, and then to plant the seeds. And if I can do that, the the map is the vision, the soil is really the values and walking the talk, and then the seeds are just finding great people to come into that soil and really flower. And 
that's kind of how I think about my job. And it's hard. There's sometimes where I have a very particular way that I want us to execute something on our website or, a, you know, a particular way that I want our new packaging to look. And I you know, kind of wander into the meeting and I'm like poking at things. And you can see the team sort of like kind of glad I'm there, but maybe mostly not so happy. <laughs> and it's tough. It's tough to pull back from those things. I'm sure you have the same thing. But in the end, you know, I really see myself as a farmer trying to create that those conditions of the map, the soil and the seeds. And if I can do that, good stuff happens. Yeah. I, everything you said hit the nail on the head on, on what true leadership really is. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about finding what your natural talent is and where does it intersect with what your passion is. And if you can figure out what your passion is and how it intersects with your natural God-given talent, that's when you start to find that that inner peace and, and happiness of, of doing basic things of, of the job yeah. every day. And so everything you said, you know, couldn't agree more and just do the right thing. I mean, that's a, that it's yeah. such a basic line uh, that we say all the time and things you talked about of making sure that, you know, paying those that needed it most first, but sometimes it's just, just do the right thing. And I tell my team all the time, it's okay to fail failing does not make you a failure right and i encourage i encourage them and it sounds crazy but i i encourage them to be okay with failing because if they're making mistakes because they're pushing the envelope because they want to be the best i can live with that all day every day when we're making mistakes because we don't care because we're we're not doing the job appropriately okay now we need to have some conversations but when my team's pushing and they're trying to, to think outside the box and do stuff that no one's done. Cool. Fail forward. What did we learn? How can uh-huh. now we put it in place to be the best uh, at what we do? And all those things that you said, man, I mean, it's God, if we could, I, I love teaching leadership because I think it's something that's lacked so much in, in organization. Right now. The next generation, it scares me to death, to be honest with you, that I, I don't see enough emphasis being placed on what true leadership is. And I, I think that's telling when we look at the culture issue that's happening in organizations, which then leads to people that they don't want to be at the workplace. They don't really want to work for the company anymore. It's a job there. And if somebody offers them something better, they're quick to walk out the door because there's no loyalty right. because there's, there's not a right. culture that you bought into. And so... I am deeply passionate about this subject. That is, that is. I love it. I can tell. I can. I can feel the energy. It's almost like getting next to a fire. I can feel the heat. It's really nice. No, it's good. It's. It's. It's really. We need. We need a ton of it, Chris. And I. I do think it adds value in so many ways. And. And you know, as you were telling me, you mentioned about about failure. And, you know, as you were explaining to me a little bit about your audience and all the great people that are taking different lessons from some of the things you're sharing, I'll I'll share something here on the way we internalize and almost make operational failure. And it's really just another like way of of learning is the way we look at it. And so what I'm going to say is it's there's nothing that is life changing about it other than it's an interesting word and concept for something that I think really helps create a culture of intelligent risk-taking of collaboration versus pushing someone under the bus. And the way, the way we look at, at risk and experimentation is something we call the mini piloto. So our, 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 half our leadership team in our company is in Costa Rica. And mini piloto is just a, a Spanish word for small pilot, a pilot, mini pilot. And we got that term actually by default uh, because uh, when we started the company, there was so much stuff we didn't know that we had to figure out. And it would not have made sense to start at scale. We would have we would have wasted a lot of time and energy. And so the mini piloto literally, just to, to give the funny example of it, when we started, the idea was to create really good skincare products based on special plants and a regenerative model. And uh, skincare is in a very, very, it's a very cluttered marketplace. It's huge and there's billions of dollars um, that are spent, but the barrier to entry is very low. And so when I started Thrive, we selected our first farmer partner in Costa Rica on whose field we were gonna reintroduce these native plants and we planted 25 plants, not 25,000, not 25, but 25 plants. Okay. This is back in 2013. And this is what we had to figure out. If we plant these plants, 
on this farmer's farm with this farm, will the plants grow? Can we grow the plants without killing them? Second, can we get along with a farmer? Can he get along with us? Is this someone that you know we can work with for a long period of time? Third, once they're done growing and we cut them, can we turn the leaves into an oil? If we can turn it into an oil, will that oil have the compounds in it, the metabolites that are really, really good for skin and in what degree? And once we get those oils, can we wrap formulas around them that you can use to moisturize with or to shave with or to protect yourself from the sun with? And if we could make those products, would they be good enough to sell into a retailer? And if a customer bought them, would they like them and buy them again? So you can see there's like, an, it's almost like a domino game of dominoes <laughs> that needed to be figured out. So that's why we started literally with 25 plants to start figuring this stuff out, right? And now we've got, I don't know, it's like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of plants in multiple farms all over Costa Rica. And there's, I don't know, like 250 some farmers that are working with us. And we're already regenerating several hundred hectares of land. And it's, it's really amazing. And our business has grown. We're a top 1% seller on Amazon. As I mentioned, we got featured in the New York Times. But this idea of the mini piloto, you'll see it's actually on our website uh, is one of our values. And our entire team uses this. When we're starting something, we say, if someone has an idea that's crazy, we don't say, well, that sounds crazy and you're on the hook if it fails. What we say is mini piloto it. Figure out how to start small, how to measure the, the progress towards what you think is the outcome you want, and the minute you see this thing starting to bear fruit, start doubling down. And so what we're really doing is we're encouraging people to plant lots of seeds, knowing that some of those seeds are not going to work out. But if they do, you start really doubling down. And we really encourage people to take ownership of the lessons from what's not working. And in, in a way, we almost celebrate more. The more quickly someone can say, I tried this, it didn't work. Here's what I thought was going to happen. Here's what actually happened. And here's what I think I'm going to do next. We love that. And we really try to emphasize that. And so what that does is it creates on the team a willingness to experiment, a celebration of the lessons as opposed to the outcomes. Obviously, we want things to work and to kick ass, but it's really helped with innovation. It's helped with risk-taking. And I think it's helped us figure out answers to very unusual questions that there's no playbook for. I mean, all this stuff, this supply chain we're building and commercializing these plants in a foreign country, there's no playbook for this stuff. And so it's been really helpful. And so that's what I often tell people is to create other companies, create their own mini piloto culture, where you give people permission to take small risks as long as they're thinking about what they expect to happen. And then you celebrate the learnings from those things. And you really celebrate when you start to scale the things that are working. Man, I love that. Love, love, love that. And you're also, I mean, it, you're strategically managing your your potential loss to where, That's you right. know. That's right. Such a smart way to do it that says not only strategically from a business perspective, I'm managing how how far down this rabbit hole we're actually going to go. There's <laughs> right. no fruit. But at the same time, my team feels this, this liberating ability to go out and just do. Just do, but manage yeah. it. And yeah. it's such a smart yeah. way to, to lead. So, and something you said there, and I think this is important for anybody that's that's either starting a business or in the middle of, of it mm -hmm. right now. You talked about, and you literally went through question after question after question <laughs> of, and then we have to figure out, and then we've got it. And, then we've got it. <laughs> right. Right. and the thing that I took from that to that I think every entrepreneur is going to deal with at some point is that it's going to be hard. And one of my mentors, Brian Sanders says this, and I use this line. I, I, I have no shame in saying I stole it from him um, <laughs> that easy, never changed the world. That's and good. I, like and I, I love that line because if you, if you're crazy enough to venture into trying to do your own thing with some vision and, and dream that you have, know that it will be hard. And there's a reason why other people don't do it. And be prepared for that. Be okay with with you having tough days. Be okay with having those moments where you don't have the answer to the question and you've got to grind it out. It rarely happens overnight. And typically when it happens overnight, it probably doesn't last. There's not sustainability because you don't have the foundation that, that it was built on. 
And I think that you bringing up the fact that going from the idea and having to ask 50 different questions and say, well, what if, but then we got to figure out it, it wasn't just, Hey, we should do skincare, plant that, pull it out of the ground. <laughs> get a big boom. You know, there's a, there's a lot of hard stuff that goes into yeah. figuring this out and it doesn't end. The bigger your company gets, the more questions you have to ask and the bigger the decisions that you make have a bigger impact on other people. For me, I, I feel the weight of the world every day that I wake up because I know how many people depend on me. And when I started out, it was me. It was easy to make bad decisions because it, it didn't affect a lot of people. Now, those decisions that I make, big or small, we just rolled out a new program for our team members that is costing us a considerable amount of money, but it's the right thing to do. And to sit back and have to make these decisions the bigger you get, the, the tougher it is. I think there's this mentality that most people, they, they live in an Instagram society that says, I want to start a business because I want to do what he does. Well, no, right. you, you want to fly, you you fly first class. You want to live the yeah. life, but you don't want to that's not on Instagram. I, I love that you, you clearly, some leaders are really born. And I think great leaders have a bit of the DNA in them, but, but the, I think the ones that, that we most resonate with as people are ones that have definitely had their struggles. And there's something that is at the same time, both inspiring, but also connecting with them. I think the, the really great leaders, there's, there's something that connects us with them. And so as you're, as you're saying this stuff, I'm just imagining, I don't know the details, but you know, all of the, the ditches you've fallen in, the things that you've had to lift and do, and that's what lets you say this with not only passion, but with some degree of certainty. I subscribe to everything you're saying. I think that as entrepreneurs are building their companies, I think that the, one of the most interesting journeys is the personal one. And I've seen it with people who are very religious, people who are completely secular. I've seen it with people who are super type A and others that are more laid back. It's this journey where when when you're starting something, it doesn't have to be a huge business. It can, it can be something smaller, but every day you have to make a bunch of decisions that affect not only yourself, but, but many other people, both inside and outside your company. And there's nowhere to hide. And you can be really good at presenting a facade or, you know, sort of being a good salesperson until you start a company. And then over the years, there are just so many things that you have to contend with that it forces you either to stop doing it and go back to something that's safer or to really figure out what makes you tick and how to be a better person. And I think the really great leaders are the ones that almost embrace that, whether it's intentional or not. And there's something beautiful about it. And I think part of entrepreneurship, it's, it's like one of those things, like if someone said, if you could go back to your, you know, your 15 years or 14 years and do it all over again, would you do it? And a lot of people kind of pause when they're given that because it's a mixed bag, right? Like those years, those teenage years, early 20s, like there were some fun times, there's some beautiful times, but there's also stuff that was like really hard, right? And I think the thing about being an entrepreneur and the thing about starting a company, and I've learned this is... I've had to learn so much about myself. I'm not sure that I would want to go back and do it all over again, but man, it's made it so much easier to be who I am today, to work with the people and hopefully for them to work with me by having learned all those lessons. And it's what you said, you know, if you aim high and you're trying to build something you're really passionate about, you do stick with it. And I think that personal journey is one. I'm just really resonating as you're sharing that. And hopefully the people that, are, that listen to this show and to your others, they get that thread of it's the journey of life where you are really learning not just how to build a company, but how to be a better human being. And the, the more you embrace that, the, the more helpful you are to the team you've built around you and to the people that are buying your products. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more, man. I, I, I think back, I am so proud of where I've gotten to personally, how different I am today than I was five years ago, uh, 10 years ago. Would I want to do it all over again? If I was forced to do it all again to get where I am now, so be it. But you know, the evolution of who I became personally, I love seeing people win. I love seeing good people win. Like I, 
there, there's enough for everyone. Uh, it, it, someone doesn't have to win so someone can lose. I want to see people win. And so in closing on the, on the tail end of this, talking about yeah. seeing people win and, and thrive, your products obviously – groundbreaking in what you're doing the benefits of it is the a laundry list of what they are are you continuing to create more products are you looking to expand the lines or do you have you found you're just you're in that the sweet spot the niche you found exactly where you want to be where do you see it going from here yeah so the main focus i've got for thrive for the next couple years is really uh, letting more people know that we're here and and how we can help them. And in particular, it's for taking care of your your skin in the sun, uh, whether it's your face or your body. And then more generally, it's for uh, having really good skincare products that are particularly good for people that have sensitive skin or who are really active. There are not enough people who know about us or uh, who love us yet. And so I want to grow the business. We've got uh, 16 products and we've got a really nice pipeline. But what I'm doing right now is I'm focusing most of the time and energy on awareness and sort of demand creation on the, on the more on the marketing side. And we're really excited. We've, we've had to build a really good business on Amazon and now we're building a couple channels on top of that to kind of leverage that success and the profitability we've had there. So really that's what the next couple couple of years is about. And I've got a super talented formulator. She's on our leadership team and she's got amazing ideas, particularly for some new stuff in, in sun care that we're going to be coming out with. But really the next couple of years is letting more people know that we're here and how we can help them out really to, to have to look better, to live healthier. And then for the ones that really care through their purchase of Thrive to really help leave things better. This idea of a regenerative business that the thing they're buying is not only good for them, but it's literally bringing places back to life. It's boosting the lives of rural farmers. And this is going to expand all over the world. I love it. I love it. Please know, uh, consider EAG and myself partners and to help the gospel of thrive and and get it out there for more people. Because I think the product obviously is is something that people need to know about. But I think the the leadership behind the product says it's an organization that people want to get behind. They want to know about. I want to I want to help your brand grow, man. That's I love to hear. Thank you, Chris. I love it. Well, this has been it's been a real pleasure talking with you. I feel very grateful you invited me on to share with you. Now, please, how can people follow you, get in touch? What's the easiest ways to, to connect with, with uh, Thrive? Yeah. So our website is uh, thrivecare.co, thrivecare.co. You can also find us on Amazon. We've got a good presence there, uh, Thrive Natural Care. And the best way to contact me is hello at uh, Thrive Care. That's the best way to do it. And those will all be routed to me. And I'll see those again. I'm just um, I've really enjoyed uh, learning about your background and in particular your passion for leadership. There's a lot that you have to share with people. And I hope that uh, as we share uh, with our customers and our followers, your podcast and what you're doing, I hope that uh, brings some more people to your tribe. Man, I appreciate that, Alex. Thanks so much for joining us. Please, everyone, go out, uh, jump on the website, jump on Amazon, check out their products, what they're doing. You will not be disappointed, that's for sure. Thanks so much for joining us. I am Chris Adams. It's the Pink Elephant. You can find us, ellisadamsgroup.com or always on Instagram, ellisadamsofficial or myself, chrisadams underscore EAG. Look forward to seeing everyone next week and uh, have an amazing afternoon, everyone. 